evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. I'm Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories just for you. Links to all the stories can be found at the show notes at bedtimewithbvj.com. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a buy me a coffee link on every page and post. Tonight we continue our story, The Gold Bug, by Edgar Allan Poe. But proceed, I am all impatience. Well, you have heard, of course, the many stories current, the thousand vague rumors afloat about money buried somewhere upon the Atlantic coast by Kidd and his associates. These rumors must have had some foundation in fact, and that the rumors have existed so long and so continuous could have resulted, it appeared to me, only from the circumstance of the buried treasures still remaining entombed. Had Kidd concealed his plunder for a time and afterwards reclaimed it, the rumors would scarcely have reached us in their present unvarying form. You will observe that the stories told are all about money seekers, not about money finders. Had the pirate recovered his money, then the affair would have dropped. It seemed to me that some accident, say the loss of a memorandum indicating its locality, had deprived him of the means of recovering it, and that this accident had become known to his followers, who otherwise might never have heard that the treasure had been concealed at all, and who, busying themselves in vain, because unguided attempts to regain it, had given first birth, and then universal currency, to the reports which are now so common. Have you ever heard of any important treasure being unearthed along the coast? Never! But that kids' accumulations were immense is well known. I took it for granted, therefore, that the earth still held them, and you will scarcely be surprised when I tell you that I felt a hope, nearly amounting to certainty, that the parchment so strangely found involved the lost record of the place of deposit. But how did you proceed? I held the vellum again to the fire after increasing the heat, but nothing appeared. I now thought it possible that the coating of dirt might have something to do with the failure, so I carefully rinsed the parchment by pouring warm water over it, and having done this, I placed it in a tin pan, put the skull downward, and put the pan upon a furnace of lighted charcoal. In a few minutes, the pan having become thoroughly heated, I removed the slip, and to my inexpressible joy, found it spotted in several places, with what appeared to be figures arranged in lines. Again I placed it in the pan, and suffered it to remain another minute. Upon taking it off, the whole was just as you see it now. Here Legrand, having reheated the parchment, submitted it to my inspection. The characters were rudely traced, in a red tint, between the death's head and the goat. But, I said, returning him the slip, I am as much in the dark as ever, were all the jewels of Golconda awaiting me upon my solution of this enigma? I am quite sure that I should be unable to earn them. And yet, said Legrand, this solution is by no means so difficult as you might be led to imagine from the first hasty inspection of the characters. These characters, as anyone might readily guess, from a cipher, that is to say, they convey a meaning, but then from what is known of Kid, 
I could not suppose him capable of constructing any of the more abstruse cryptographs. I made up my mind at once that this was of a simple species, such, however, as would appear, to the crude intellect of the sailor, absolutely insoluble without the key. And you really solved it? Readily, I have solved others of an abstruseness ten thousand times greater. Circumstances, and a certain bias of mind, have led me to take interest in such riddles, and it may well be doubted whether human ingenuity can construct an enigma of a kind which human ingenuity may not, by proper application, resolve. In fact, having once established connected and legible characters, I scarcely gave a thought to the mere difficulty of keeping their import. In the present case, indeed in all cases of secret writing, the first question regards the language of the cipher, for the principles of solution so far, especially, as the more simple ciphers are concerned, depend upon, and are varied by, the genius of the particular idiom. In general, there is no alternative but experiment, directed by probabilities, of every tongue known to him who attempts a solution, until the true one be attained. But with the cipher now before us, all difficulty was removed by the signature. The pun upon the word kid is appreciable in no other language than English. But for this consideration, I should have begun my attempts with the Spanish and French, as the tongues in which a secret of this kind most naturally would have been written by a pirate of the Spanish main. As it was, I assumed the cryptograph to be English. You observe there are no divisions between the words. Had there been divisions, the task would have been comparatively easy. In such cases, I would have commenced with the collation and analysis of the shorter words, and had a word of a single letter occurred, as is most likely, A or I, for example, I should have considered the solution as assured. But there being no division, my first step was to ascertain the predominant letters, as well as the least frequent. Of the character 8, there are 33. Now in English, the letter, which most frequently occurs, is E. Afterwards, the succession runs thus. A, O, I, D, H, N, R, S, T, U, Y, C, F, G, L, M, W, B, K, P, Q, X, Z. E predominates so remarkably that an individual sentence of any length is rarely seen in which it is not the prevailing character. Here, then, we have, in the very beginning, the groundwork for something more than a mere guess. The general use which may be made of the table is obvious, but in this particular cipher, we shall only very partially require its aid. As our predominant character is 8, we will commence by assuming it as the E of the natural alphabet. To verify the supposition, let us observe if the 8 is seen often in couples, for E is doubled with great frequency in English, in such words as meet, fleet, speed, seen, bean, agree, etc. In the present instance we see it doubled no less than five times, although the cryptograph is brief. Let us assume 8 then as E. Now, of all words in the language, the is most usual. Let us see, therefore, whether there are not repetitions of any three characters 
in the same order of collocation, the last of them being eight. If we discover repetitions of such letters so arranged, they will most probably represent the word the. Upon inspection, we find no less than seven such arrangements, the characters being semicolon four eight. We may therefore assume that semicolon represents T, four represents H, and eight represents E, the last being now well confirmed. Thus, a great step has been taken. But having established a single word, we are enabled to establish a vastly important point, that is to say, several commencements and terminations of other words. Let us refer, for example, to the last instance but one in which the combination semicolon 4-8 occurs, not far from the end of the cipher. We know that the semicolon immediately ensuing is the commencement of a word, and of the six characters succeeding this they, we are cognizant of no less than five. Let us set these characters down thus, by the letters we know them to represent, leaving a space for the unknown. T space E-E-T-H. Here we are enabled at once to discard the TH as forming no portion of the word commencing with the first T, since by experiment of the entire alphabet for a letter adapted to the vacancy, we perceive that no word can be formed of which this TH can be a part. We are thus narrowed into T space EE, and going through the alphabet if necessary as before, we arrive at the word tree as the sole possible reading. We thus gain another letter R represented by parenthesis with the words the tree in juxtaposition. Looking beyond these words for a short distance, we again see the combination semicolon for eight and employ it by way of termination to what immediately proceeds. We have thus this arrangement. The tree, semicolon four, parentheses four plus seven three four, space the, or substituting the natural letters where known, it reads thus the tree thr plus seven three h space the. Now, if in place of the unknown characters we leave blank spaces or substitute dots, we read this the space tree space thr dot 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 h space the when the word through makes itself evident at once but this discovery gives us three new letters o u and g represented by plus question mark and three looking now narrowly through the cipher for combinations of known characters we find not very far from the beginning this arrangement, 8-3, parenthesis, 8-8, or E-G-R-E-E, which plainly is the conclusion of the word degree, and gives us another letter, D, represented by exclamation point. Four letters beyond the word degree, we perceive the combination, semicolon, 4-6, parenthesis, semicolon, 8-8, period translating the known characters and representing the unknown by dots, as before, we read thus, th dot 
R-T-E-E. An arrangement immediately suggested of the word 13, and again furnishing us with two new characters, I and N, represented by six and asterisk. Referring now to the beginning of the cryptograph, we find the combination 5-3 plus plus exclamation point. Translating as before, we obtain dot G-O-O-D, which assures us that the first letter is A, and that the first two words are a good. It is now time that we arrange our key, as far as discovered, in a tabular form to avoid confusion. It will stand thus. Five represents A, exclamation mark represents D, A represents E, three equals G, four equals H, six equals I, asterisk equals N, plus equals O, parenthesis equals R, semicolon equals T, question mark equals U. We have, therefore, no less than 11 of the most important letters represented, and it will be unnecessary to proceed with the details of the solution. I have said enough to convince you that ciphers of this nature are readily soluble, and to give you some insight into the rationale of their development. But be assured that the specimen before us appertains to the very simplest species of cryptograph. It now only remains to give you the full translation of the characters upon the parchment as unriddled. Here it is. A good glass in the bishop's hostel in the devil's seat 49 degrees and 13 minutes northeast and by north main branch seventh limb east side shoot from the left eye of the death's head a beeline from the tree through the shot 50 feet out. But, said I, the enigma still seems in as bad a condition as ever. How is it possible to extort a meaning from all this jargon about devil's seats, death's heads, and bishop's hostels? I confess, replied Legrand, that the matter still wears a serious aspect when regarded with a casual glance. My first endeavor was to divide the sentence into the natural division intended by the cryptographist. You mean to punctuate it? Something of that kind. But how was it possible to effect this? I reflected that it had been a point with the writer to run his words together without division, so as to increase the difficulty of solution. Now, a not over-acute man in pursuing such an object would be nearly certain to overdo the matter. When, in the course of his composition, he arrived at a break in his subject, which would naturally require a pause or a point, he would be exceedingly apt to run his characters, at this place, more than usually close together. If you will observe the MS in the present instance, you will easily detect five such cases of unusual crowding. Acting upon this hint, I made the division thus. A good glass in the bishop's hostel in the devil's seat, 41 degrees and 13 minutes northeast, and my north main branch, seventh limb, east side, shoot from the left eye of the death's head, a beeline from the tree through the shot 50 feet out. Even this division, said I, leaves me still in the dark. It left me also in the dark, replied Legrand. For a few days, during which I made diligent inquiry in the neighborhood of Sullivan's Island, for any building which went by the name of the Bishop's Hostel, 
For, of course, I dropped the obsolete word hostile, gaining no information on the subject. I was on the point of extending my sphere of search and proceeding in a more systematic manner when, one morning, it entered into my head quite suddenly that this bishop's hostel might have some reference to an old family of the name of Bessop, which, time out of mind, had held possession of an ancient manor house about four miles to the northward of the inland. I accordingly went over to the plantation and reinstituted my inquiries among the older gentlemen of the place. At length, one of the most aged of the women said that she had heard of such a place as Bessop's Castle and thought that she could guide me to it, but that it was not a castle nor a tavern, but a high rock. I offered to pay her well for her trouble, and after some demur, she consented to accompany me to the spot. We found it without much difficulty when, dismissing her, I proceeded to examine the place. The castle consisted of an irregular assemblage of cliffs and rocks, one of the latter being quite remarkable for its height as well for its insulated and artificial appearance. I climbed to its apex and then felt much at a loss as to what should be done next. While I was busied in reflection, my eyes fell upon a narrow ledge on the eastern face of the rock, perhaps a yard below the summit upon which I stood. This ledge projected about eighteen inches and was not more than a foot wide, while the niche in the cliff just above it gave it a rude resemblance to one of the hollow back chairs used by our ancestors. I made no doubt that here was the devil's seat alluded to in the MS, and now I grasped the full secret of the riddle. The good glass, I knew, could have reference to nothing but a telescope, for the word glass is rarely employed in any other sense by seamen. Now here I at once saw was a telescope to be used, and a definite point of view, admitting no variation from which to use it. Nor did I hesitate to believe that the phrases 41 degrees and 13 minutes, and northeast and by north, were intended as directions for the leveling of the glass. Greatly excited by these discoveries, I hurried home, procured a telescope, and returned to the rock. I let myself down to the ledge and found that it was impossible to retain a seat upon it, except in one particular position. This fact confirmed my preconceived idea. I proceeded to use the glass. Of course, the 41 degrees and 13 minutes could allude to nothing but elevation above the visible horizon, since the direction horizontally was clearly indicated by the words northeast and by north. This latter direction I at once established by means of a pocket compass, then pointing the glass as nearly at an angle of 41 degrees of elevation as I could do it by guess, I moved it cautiously up or down until my attention was arrested by a circular rift or opening in the foliage of a large tree that overtopped its fellows in the distance. In the center of this rift I perceived a white spot, but could not, at first, distinguish what it was. Adjusting the focus of the telescope, I again looked and now made it out to be a human skull. Upon this discovery, I was so sanguine as to consider the enigma solved, for the phrase main branch, seventh limb, east side, could only refer to the position of the skull upon the tree, while shoot from the left eye of the death's head admitted, also but of one interpretation in regards to a search for buried treasure. I perceived that the design was to drop a bullet from the left eye of the skull, 
and that a beeline, or in other words, a straight line, drawn from the nearest point of the trunk through the shot, or the spot where the bullet fell, and thence extended to a distance of 50 feet, would indicate a definite point, and beneath this point I thought it at least possible that a deposit of value lay concealed. All this, I said, is exceedingly clear, and although ingenious, still simple and explicit. When you left the bishop's hostel, what then? Why, having carefully taken the bearings of the tree, I turned homeward. The instant that I left the devil's seat, however, the circular rift vanished, nor could I get a glimpse of it afterwards, turn as I would. What seems to me the chief ingenuity in this whole business is the fact, for a repeated experiment has convinced me it is a fact, that the circular opening in question is visible from no other retainable point of view than that afforded by the narrow ledge upon the face of the rock. In this expedition to the bishop's hotel, I had been attended by Jupiter, who had no doubt observed for some weeks past the abstraction of my demeanor and took special care not to leave me alone. But on the next day, getting up very early, I contrived to give him the slip and went into the hills in search of the tree. After much toil, I found it. When I came home at night, he proposed to give me a flogging. For the rest of the adventure, I believe you are as well acquainted as myself. I suppose, said I, you missed the spot in the first attempt at digging through Jupiter's stupidity and letting the bug fall through the right instead of the left eye of the skull. Precisely. This mistake made a difference of about two inches and a half in the shot, that is to say, in the position of the peg nearest the tree, and had the treasure been beneath the shot, the error would have been of little moment. But the shot, together with the nearest point of the tree, were merely two points for the establishment of a line of direction. Of course, the error, however trivial in the beginning, increased as we proceeded with the line, and by the time we had gone fifty feet, threw us quite off the scent. But for my deep-seated impressions, that treasure was here, somewhere, actually buried. But for my deep-seated impressions, that treasure was here, somewhere, actually buried, we might have had all our labor in vain. But your grandiloquence and your conduct in swinging the beetle, how excessively odd! I was sure that you were mad, and why did you insist upon letting fall the bug instead of a bullet from the skull? Well, to be frank, I felt somewhat annoyed by your evident suspicions touching my sanity, and so resolved to punish you quietly, in my own way, by a little bit of sober mystification. For this reason I swung the beetle, and for this reason I let it fall from the tree. An observation of yours about its great weight suggested the latter I... Yes, I perceive, and now there is only one point which puzzles me. What are we to make of the skeletons found in the hole? That is a question I am no more able to answer than yourself. There seems, however, only one plausible way of accounting for them, and yet it is dreadful to believe in such atrocity as my suggestion would imply. It is clear that Kidd, if Kidd indeed secreted this treasure, which I doubt not, it is clear that he must have had assistance in the labor. But this labor concluded, have thought it expedient to remove all participants in his secret. Perhaps a couple of blows with a mattock were sufficient, while his co-adjusters were busy in the pit. Perhaps it required a dozen. Who shall tell? 
I want to remind you that we're always on the hunt for great stories like this one to feature on the show. And if you have any suggestions, please email me, bigvoicejay at gmail.com. We've got a YouTube channel full of great stories from the show. Go to tiny.cc slash bvjbedtime. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every single night. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me a Coffee link on every page and post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>